another supplier. Um, these are for non-readers. It's great to have a book for a non-reader. Uh, you may not plow through long chapters, but these are gems uh, from the greatest preacher of, uh, I guess, the last century. I used to go and hear him at Westminster Chapel. I used to sit there and think, it couldn't have been any better to listen to Spurgeon, I don't think. This, this is awesome. And uh, he was so wise and so profound. And Tony Sargent has taken what he calls gems of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones on, on all kinds of subjects, just giving you a paragraph on any kind of theme that you might like to look at. So you can have it by your phone. And uh, when, when someone's wait, you know, you're waiting and they're saying... Uh, please wait a little longer. Uh, we really do love your custom. We prize you. We won't be long. Uh, you know, you can have it there and you can be looking up incredible insights of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, while you're sitting there. Uh, or sometimes you might be asked to say something and uh, preach or give some sort of word and you can, you can be very eloquent and say, as Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said and come up with one of his great quotes, as though you've read all of his books. So, it's all in there, right? Gems from Lloyd-Jones, it's a superb book. I just uh, have a few copies on the table at the back, and then there's some of mine as well. Okay, uh, they're also there. So, please take advantage. We don't bring books every week, so when they're there, please snap them up. Okay, we're in Philippians and chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. As Andrew said, this is one of our three gift days in the year. It's great to have these gift days because they provide an opportunity for us to uh, remember the journey, as Andrew said, that we're on, the identity that we have, that God's called us uh, to build a great church for his glory here. Uh, uh, I thought God spoke to, to me before we moved here about it becoming an Antioch church, a, a great sending base. That was the word God spoke into my heart. And at that time, I had no idea uh, that one of the elders, no less, was going to go off on mission. That's one of the unique things about the church at Antioch, that the Spirit said, separate for me, uh, not just one of the young guys, but one of the leaders to go on mission. And uh, I thought, yes, that's what the Antioch church was all about. It was a great sending base. And it's great, these three times in the year, to really focus on that, on this calling, it helps us to remember who we are, and not just to remember it, incidentally, oh, interesting, but to express our commitment to that. Uh, and there's nothing like expressing commitment to say that you've got hold of what the Word is saying. So I want to read with you from Philippians 4. Um, I'm reading from the NASB again, just to confuse you if you're using the NIV, uh, the nearly inspired version. I'm reading the NASB. Okay, so um, Philippians 4, we'll read from verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you've done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, 
that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for its relevance to us today. Holy Spirit, we, we welcome you, Lord. We love to gather. We love to sing together. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. We love you, Lord. We thank you, we're yours. And Holy Spirit, we, we so much want to hear your voice, to identify with who we are in God. So, Lord, come and speak to us, we pray. Let your voice be heard in our hearts. Let us know we're hearing from you together. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, in that reading, you'll remember or notice, no doubt, there are two very uh, famous Bible verses. One, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the kind of verse that you'll find on uh, calendars and uh, table mats and all sorts of things. You'll find that verse taken out and people enjoying that verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then the other one, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ. These are two very, very popular New Testament verses. So it's great actually to see them in their context. It's always great to read the Bible in context, see where what's actually being said in the passage. So here we have the context. Paul is writing to this Philippian church, which is in partnership with him. They're joined to his apostolic ministry. They feel they're part of that. We know how the church came to birth when Paul went to Philippi. Extraordinary breakthrough of the power of God. He is in prison at one time, paying a big price uh, for preaching the gospel there. And there was an earthquake, and God's presence came, and a church got formed. And uh, they uh, supported him. They kept in touch with him. And the word he uses, which we'll come back to, is you were in partnership with me. So they were very involved with the Apostle, as we will intend to be, uh, as John and Sophie and family and Emma go off to Istanbul, we'll feel nowhere in partnership with them as they go. That's how it was for this church. And so he's writing to them to thank them. That's one of the main reasons that he writes the letter. He also writes because there are some difficulties in the church which he also addresses. But here we're looking at this expression of gratitude. So three things I want to look at with you this morning. First, Paul's attitude. Secondly, their action. And then thirdly, God's assessment of what took place. Alright, first of all, Paul's attitude. It seems strange at first when you, you come to it. In fact, Paul leaves it quite late in the letter to say thank you for the gift. And uh, you'll find that he says... Uh, Nothing about his actual needs. He doesn't go into, uh, so, well, I just needed that much and your amount came through. In fact, he says something rather the opposite in verse 11. Not that I speak because I am in need. 
I'm not speaking because I need what you've sent to me. That's a strange way of thanking people for a gift. Uh, I didn't really need it, kind of thing. Um, But actually, it's not simply uh, saying that. It's wanting to teach them something somewhat more profound. He says, I actually have learned to be content in whatever situation I find myself. So it's great to have your supply, it's great to have your uh, endorsement of the ministry that I'm involved in, but actually I've learned an amazing secret of how to be content whether I have much or whether I have little. I've learned a secret. In fact, the very phrase Paul uses is borrowed, it's a kind of technical phrase which was used to associate with people who took initiation into the mystery religions. They use this phrase. I've learned the secret. And now I'm in the mystery religion. So he kind of borrows that phrase and uses it. So I've learned the secret of being content in whatever circumstance I find myself. Now that's an incredible secret to learn. If only the world could understand what God is offering for us to learn contentment in whatever circumstance I find myself. If only the world understood what is on offer from the Lord Jesus. Because so many of us feel, well, if only this would happen, then I'd be okay. I just looked on Google to see how much money is being spent on drugs and I came up with a USA figure and I was amazed how many billions of dollars a month are spent on drugs. People thinking, if only, if only I could get through to something else, if only I could break out of what I'm in, if only I could find contentment. Sometimes people think it's to do with money, but often it's people with a lot of money who spend a lot of money on drugs. And they're still looking for that secret, trying to find what it is to be content. If only I could get away from home. If only I could find a better job. If only I could get married. If only I could get out of this marriage. If only I could finish college. When I, when I finish college, then. When, you see, we're looking, when, when the circumstances change, then I'll be okay. When uh, I get the kids off my hands. When I've sorted out my finances. Often we're waiting for something to happen. When, when that happens, then I'll be okay. Different circumstances will change things for me. But Paul is saying this phenomenal thing that I've learned in whatever circumstances. He's not saying, yeah, I got religious, so I just opted out of the rat race, I took a a vow of poverty, and I found contentment. No, it's more kind of nuanced than that. He said, I've learned how to be content in poverty, I've learned how to be content in riches. I can handle life. I can be content whatever life throws at me. I'm not just opting out. I'm not just going into a stoic uh, frame of mind. I'm not saying, well, you just have to press through. He's found a way of coping with real life supernaturally. He found the key to contentment. And it's a tremendous thing that he's making known as he speaks about that. I wonder if you've been wondering, if only, when that happens... If I could get through, then, then it would be alright. If I could get out of this situation. And Paul says, no, in the situation, I've found the secret of contentment in the real world. It's funny, yesterday we've had our grandchildren staying with us for a few days and one of them found a box of old photographs. 
And it's fascinating, isn't it, to look at old photographs. And the hours are very randomly. I mean, we have some in books which are more organized than the... That's just stuck in a box. And uh, we've been very privileged over the years to travel. And uh, you take them out. This one's from here. This one's from here. This one's from here. And uh, some are from places where you get blessed. Uh, we went once right over to uh, Orlando, uh, Disney World, and uh, Universal Studios. And I remember once in Universal Studios, and uh, you were in an outdoor theater, and there were 8,000 people there. And they're putting on this great song and dance show in the lovely summer evening in this uh, incredible, unreal world. And the song at the end had this incredible last line with a wonderful melody, and it said this, There's a bright new tomorrow, and it's only a dream away. Isn't that lovely? There's a bright new tomorrow, it's only a dream away. You think, huh? What's that mean? That means nothing at all. <laughs> it means nothing, absolutely nothing. But it was with a crescendo of singers and dancers and the whole people went out, oh, yes, right. And it's only a dream away. Uh, you know, it's like there's a mysterious, wonderful, if only world. And you only have to dream it. No, no, no. Paul's saying, writing from prison, chained to a Roman soldier, Elsewhere, he says in the same letter, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. This guy's found something profound. And when we're looking through these photos, I see one of Pete and Hetty Dreyer, whose home we stayed in when we were in Zimbabwe. I say whose home. They'd had their home taken and the farm associated with it by Mugabe's government. And they were living in a barn. And... uh, they were so peaceful in God. Just triumphant and happy. And I remember as they gave me the torch at night and said, this is if you need to go to the toilet during the night because of the snakes. I thought, oh yes, I'm really into this. <laughs> but they were really happy about this. You know, I thought, how do... In fact, I've been amazed again and again when we go to Zimbabwe with Scott Marks and go to the church in Harare, packed to the doors, hundreds of worshipping, praising people, and they don't know where the next meal's coming from as their nation's economy collapsed and as they, uh, their uh, Zimbabwean dollar, they added more and more zeros to it, more and more zeros, until it was like a million dollars and it was worth nothing. And then they gave up and started using American dollars for the nation. But everything fell apart, but I've never seen anything but triumph and peace and joy the hundreds of people who found the secret I found how to be content through genuinely finding God we're not talking about oh I like going into a church building I get a nice sense of peace that's, that's like a dream away or if someone say a nice prayer over me Paul is saying I found how to be content whatever the circumstances I've learned something of a wonderful mystery. And uh, as I say, we've had the privilege of going, yes, into the unreal world, but also going into this very real world of pressure and pain and difficulty. I remember meeting Alan Ewan when I went to Beijing, and there's this dear man who'd been 21 years in prison, taken from his family, six children, when he was 44, and let out when he was 65. And we took 
books and Bibles out to smuggle them in. And uh, he sat in our little hotel room and he sat on the floor against the wall and his face beaming and smiling. It's one of the greatest privileges of my life. I'll never forget it. This dear, dear man. And, and, and they let him go when he was 65. They think, well, it's finished now, 65. Been in prison 21 years. Several godly men had offered to marry his wife for their six children to care for them because, well, probably he's dead. And she said, no, no, I, I don't know he's dead. So she raised these six kids alone. And when he came to see us uh, to collect these Bibles, he's like 81 at the time. They let him go when he's 65. He's just absolutely buoyant. And uh, I read when I got home a few weeks later that they put him into, under house arrest again for baptizing 400 people. I think, yeah, this guy. <laughs> and I said to him, you have suffered so much. And he beamed back at me and said, nothing compares with the cross. And he just exuded peace and contentment, not because it had been easy, but he had found the one who gives him grace. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do it through him. I do it through a person. I do it not through being a stoic. It's through a person who gives me strength. Jesus said this, Come to me, all you weary, heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you. Learn of me. You'll find rest for your soul. Have you met Jesus yet? He gives you rest straight away. The day you hear it, you get rest. And then you learn of him. You learn of him. You learn the secret. He gives you rest for your soul. Your soul can be at rest. This isn't a sentimental statement. Matthias in his commentary says, the one who empowers me is the one who endues me with dynamite. <laughs> he gives me power. He gives me strength to cope with the pressures of life. He gives me rest for my soul. So that's the context. Very often we, we kind of think of that verse in isolation, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and one tends to think, well, that talking about signs and wonders and miracles, the sort of things that the apostles did, you know, raising the dead, incredible signs, power. No, no, it's to do with coping with life. That's the context of the verse. No, I can do all things. I can cope with delay. I can cope with pressure. I can cope with circumstances. I can cope even with times of prosperity without getting distracted. I can do all things through Christ. God's made me in his image and likeness and giving me the ability to live a full life in all the difficulties and restrictions of life. No circumstance, Matthias says, could ever arise which would be too much for Paul's God and therefore no circumstances could ever beat Paul. I can do all things through Christ. I've learned the secret of contentment. So that's Paul's first testimony. Thank you for your gift, but actually God meets my every need. Then he goes on to talk about their action. Okay, so the spotlight, as it were, now turns on them. It says in verse 14, Nevertheless, you have done well. Nevertheless, you have done well. 
using that phrase well, it kind of loses something of the edge of what Paul says. In fact, the NIV says, it was good of you. Gordon Feeney's commentary says it's too bland, it doesn't really catch what Paul is saying. He said, actually, the best way of expressing it would be kind of American slang, and to say, you did good. In your gift, you did good. You did good. And the word could be translated beautiful, noble, splendid. You did splendid in your gift. You did beautiful in your gift. And it's possible not to do good. You did good in your gift. God wants us to do good when the opportunity for giving comes. And why why was their gift good? Well, it wasn't casual. It wasn't nominal. It wasn't token. He says, I really applaud what you've done. You did good. And he says, you did good because what? Well, you shared with me. You shared with me. So, he's not saying, well, you know, you paid your dues, you belong to this club called the church, and it's got, you know, you pay a little bit. No, you shared. And this uh, Greek word koinonia talks about partnership. One of the marks of the early church was that they were in partnership together. They had all things in partnership. Now, it's the same word that's used for Peter, James, and John, who were partners in a small fishing business. They were partners. They owned it commonly. They, were, they all owned it together. So that when one of them had their nets burst, the others thought, no, that's my responsibility. Your nets have burst. They came to help. Because they're partners. They're in it together. And Paul says, you did good because you remembered we're in partnership. Thank you for your gift. You remembered we, we belong to one another. You expressed your partnership with me in what is taking place. And it says in verse 15 that no other church, you yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church had partnership with me in this matter of giving and receiving, but only you. You were the only church who was in partnership with me. And so that was an ongoing expression of their love. It wasn't that while Paul's going on mission... God by. No, no, you are, you were in partnership. And that's how it is for us. As we go forward, as we keep our eyes focused on the building that he has for us, it's not something, you know, that the church is doing. It's something we're in partnership doing. It's a goal and objective. It's a passion to see Jesus glorified in the town to raise up a church of sufficient strength to be able to send out people to the ends of the earth. We're in partnership. We're part of this. We're caught up in this together. And that's what Paul is saying here. You, you did well because, yeah, you expressed your partnership. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to have an opportunity, once again, to express our partnership in that. Say, no, I'm in it. I'm part of it. I'm owning it. I, I own the vision. Uh, we, we pray about it at our prayer meetings. We're constantly coming to God. God, you're going to do this thing for your glory. And so we're owning the vision together. We're a people in partnership as they were in partnership with Paul. You did good. You expressed your partnership. That's what we want to do this morning. Say, yes, we're part of this. This matters to us. We feel ownership of this together. And then thirdly, 
God's assessment. We've seen Paul's testimony, his attitude. Now I've learned to be content. We've seen secondly how they took part. And then thirdly, God's assessment. Let's see what Paul says about that. He says, I'm not looking for the gift. Again, it's a strange kind of thing. Well, thank you, but I wasn't really looking for the gift. It's not necessarily, gosh, you just about got me through. Thank you so much for your kindness. He said, actually, I'm more interested in your growth. As Paul's attitude, so much of the time, he's looking for the growth of the church. He's looking for the favour of God among the people. He says, I'm looking for the gift. I'm not looking for the gift, but what will be credited to your account? And NASB says, the profit which increases to your account. All right, so there's a, he's saying here that there is an account. Did you know you have an account? We hear so much about investment these days, you can't get much interest anymore. But he, here's an account. We all, we all have one. You have an account. In heaven, you have an account. You may not know that, but the Bible says we have an account. And today we have an opportunity to build up your account. And Paul's saying, I'm looking for the profit that will increase to your account. So Paul is introducing like another principle, really. We tend to think, well, we gave away. I had it, now I don't have it anymore. Uh, And Paul says, no, no, actually, you're not just giving it away, you're adding to an account that is in heaven, that God is registering, God is taking notice of. And so something supernatural is going to happen here this morning. We put our gifts in this week or next week, and actually we're doing something supernatural. We're adding to an eternal account in heaven, which really, which really matters for us. It matters for us eternally. Uh, Gordon Fee says it's being entered into the divine ledger as accumulated interest, which will find full expression at the coming of Christ. So that when the Lord Jesus comes, he'll present to you what you've got in your account. And that's a consistent teaching, a teaching of the Bible. That it's not just lost, it's not just given away, but somehow, in our giving, we are doing something of eternal significance that is pleasing to God. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what shows, we're not just having a collection, we're not even just going for the building. That happens to be the anvil on which God is building our faith. It could have been that we were giving to this or we're giving to that. But when we come, this is, this is it, this is for God. I'm giving it because of God's glory. I'm giving it because of what God is doing amongst us. And Paul says, no, you are, you are actually adding to your account. And it's an amazing interest-paying atta- account. And Paul's like a, an excited investment manager. Imagine that you had some finance and uh, you don't know what to do with it, you don't know where to put it. And so you, you go to an investment manager and say, you know, do you have any recommendations? And he said, well, just give it with, leave it with me. Or I recommend you use this, I recommend you use that, put some in there. That's my recommendation. That's my profession. I'm an investment manager. I, I'd advise you. And then he watches it happen through the year. And at the end of the year, he says, wow, I'm so pleased. But uh, what I recommended, you've done so well. And that's the attitude Paul has here. It's like, I'm celebrating the result of your investment. I'm, I'm enjoying 
what happened because you took my counsel, you put the right priorities in place, look what you got out of it. Except you can't see it here, you'll see it when you meet Jesus. When we meet him face to face, there will be an awareness of what has been invested. So similar in 1 Timothy 6, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that you take hold of life, which is life indeed. So you share, at the same time you're storing up for yourself. You'd think they were two different things, wouldn't you? So, I've got, I have this, I'm going to share it with you. And Paul says, you don't realise, when you're sharing it into something God's given it, actually you are, at the same time, supernaturally, storing up for yourself something for eternal significance. Jesus said in Luke 12, as we give, we make for ourselves money belts which don't wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven. I'm so glad someone taught me that as a very young Christian. I'm so glad I've got decades now in which God has helped us to store up in a way that somehow God supernaturally is registering profit to our account. That's what the Bible consistently teaches. Right through the Old Testament, Proverbs is full of it, into the New Testament, Jesus said it, Paul's repeating it, you are adding to your account that in some amazing way Jesus will bring to our attention when we meet him face to face. We're adding to our account. So yes, we're sharing. He says of the early church, they even sold stuff they had. And, and, and they had it in common, koinonia. They said, actually, I've got this house and I've also got this house. And so they sold. They didn't need that one. This is about Barnabas. He had land, he didn't need it, so he sold it and put it in the common pot, the koinonia, the common thing. Well, they had together. And the Bible says, what you do, then that's storing up in heaven. We're storing in heaven what God is enabling us to do. That's great to believe him, to take him seriously, and so it has everlasting significance. So you are, yes, making a good investment. I want to encourage you this morning. Let's make a good investment. Let's store up for what God has for us. Let's share and store up at the same time. Amazing, you don't get that in many investment accounts. Second thing, he says this, it's a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. God is delighted with this fragrant aroma sacrifices, aroma. Now again, that's full of Old Testament concepts that throughout the Old Testament people would offer up sacrifices. Lambs and bulls would be offered as sacrifices and there would be a... There would be a, a the Bible says if, if it was done in good heart, it's like a fragrant thing. God was pleased with. Matthias says this, many references, references to fragrant offerings in the Bible. The first sets the scene for the rest. After the flood, Noah offered a burnt offering to God. And we read, When the Lord smelled the pleasing odour, 
the Lord said in his heart, I will never again cause the ground, curse the ground because of man. The burnt offering expresses obedient consecration to God. God delights in his people and their dedication to him. Paul teaches here that when Christians generously sacrifice, it is for God a burnt offering and all over again he delights in it and accepts it. There's again a supernatural element. There's something that God himself is pleased to receive. I want us to consider that as we make our offering. We are, yes, we've got our eyes on something we want to build for God. We want to build a great church. We want to go for the building. But actually, we're saying, Lord, this is for you. Thank you so much for what you've done for me. This is an offering. This is a, a sacrifice. I'm happily presenting it to you. And God says, I can I smell like a fragrant offering. It comes to his nostrils. It comes and brings him pleasure. We can bring him pleasure with our gift. And then thirdly and finally, there comes this other verse, which I said was so famous, when it says, you supplied all my need, verse 16, now verse 19, my God shall supply all your needs. Now he says, promise then, you've given generously to me, I promise you, God will look after you. I promise you God will provide for you. I promise you God will watch over you. Be your supply. That is his promise to these people who have put first the kingdom that God will add to them what they need. And he will add to them, it says, not just according to their need, but according to his riches. Not just according to what we would measure, say, well, this is... No, no, it's in accordance with his incredible resource. His incredible wealth. He will give us out of his abundance. It's great to meet people who have an abundance. Here, our God has an abundance of provision. He will pay, he will give to us according to his abundance. It doesn't even say out of his riches. It says in accordance with, appropriate to, what he is able to provide. This is a God who is involved in this partnership with us. And he will give to us. So Jesus says, give, it should be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, men shall place in your lap. And so this is a phenomenal account. You can put into this account, and it will have compound interest into eternity. But at any time, God will also supply your need. You can draw down at any time. Usually, you can either have a good, a, a good interest if you lock it up and can't draw on it, or you get a lower interest if you can draw on it any time. Well, here we're told, no, you can have a compound interest and he will meet your needs at all times. He's a God who really does care for us, supply us with mercy and love and sufficiency in t- real practical terms. He's a God of incredible provision. So as we come to... Uh, worship him and bring our offerings to him soon. Let's just remember this. We can know the secret of contentment. Paul says, now I've learned the secret. I'm not waiting for circumstances to change. You're waiting for circumstances to change? I remember one of the girls at the church in Brighton, she was getting so excited about, I'm going to get married. 
I mean, it was like every day on her Facebook. Couldn't wait for it. Couldn't. This is so exciting. She's going to get married. And I thought, gosh, this is so scary. Because she's thinking, this guy can meet all my needs. And he won't be able to. Because only God can do that. And when, when we put our hopes in it, if only, if only I could have her, if I could have, have him, if I could have that job, if only I could move on, if only uh, we could get out of this situation, if only my neighbours would move, if only... That whole if only thing is missing the point. He says, I've learned the secret. I've learned contentment in whatever circumstance. I can do all things through Christ. Through Christ, I can handle the delay. Through Christ, I can handle the disappointment, the setback, the fact the house didn't sell, the fact the house we wanted went. All those tangible things that we hope, that, that can bring me joy. That, that's my... That, I see, those things you think, well, I can't live without that. Now, beware, that's like an idol. It's like, that can give me the peace I'm looking for. But it's, that's, that's the way you live if you've never found God. If you haven't found God, you're always thinking, well, that's got the secret for me. That's going to provide the answer for me. That changed circumstances. That's what I need. That will do it for me. And the Bible says, no, no, no. That's not the way it is. I can do all things. I can handle everything, Paul is saying. As I said, he's writing from prison. He's writing from real difficulties and heartache. I've learned the secret. I've learned the secret. There's a beautiful book by a man called John Flavel called The Mystery of Providence. It's the most beautiful book. Magnificent insight into the love of God. And I've got six volumes by the great man. But I only just read recently that in his lifetime, his parents, who were, his father was a godly pastor, and it was at the time of the Reformation, and his father and mother were put in prison and actually never came out. They died in prison. And then he was married three times, his wife, different wives. He married and died, and she died, and she died. And then he's written this incredible book about the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus, how God met his knees. Perhaps you know the story of that whole famous old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. A famous old hymn. And that man learned that his whole family had been in a boat which was shipwrecked. And he's like, It's well with my soul. Peace like a river. It's well with my soul. When billows go over, he talked about that. But he says, no, no, it is well with my soul. Do you know that yet? It's what Jesus can provide. It's a peace that passes understanding. It keeps our hearts and our minds. It keeps our hearts. That vulnerable area. Our minds, the, the fears, the sleeplessness, the I can't get through. No, no. Jesus teaches us peace. Have you found that yet? It's what Jesus is offering. I can do all things. He's not talking about amazing signs and wonders. He's talking about coping with life. That's the context. And he said, you can do it through Christ. He'll strengthen you. Even when Paul was facing what he calls his thorn in the flesh, the Bible doesn't even describe what that is. And he says, God, please take it away from me. Now the Stoics would never have prayed that. The Stoics... The Stoics were philosophers who said you never have to express need. You never have to acknowledge the pressure. You just have to have that kind of British stiff upper lip. 
and you just press through. You just, just discipline yourself. And some people think that's what Christianity is. Even in the last century or the century before, people kind of saw Christianity like that. It's just, just press on, be English, press through. And Paul isn't saying that. Paul is saying three times I said, oh, please get me out of this. Please, would you take away this thorn, whatever it was. Please, will you get me through this. Please, will you shorten the pain. Please, will you take this away. And he, said, he says this, Then he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. And he said, So I rejoiced in it. And the phrase I've underlined in my Bible is this, He said to me. See, my grace is sufficient. It's great on the wall. It's even greater when he says it to you. When Jesus draws near, when Jesus says, no, my grace is sufficient. And Paul says, I've learned the secret. See, it's a, in a sense he's using, he borrows a phrase from the mystery religions, I've learned the initiating phrase, how to get in, but really, it's a lifetime, isn't it? Paul says, learn of me. I mean, Jesus says, learn of me. Take my yoke on you. Learn, get, get yoke to me. Get close to me. Get to know me. So Paul says, I've suffered the loss of all things, that I might know him. I want to be with him. And somehow, supernaturally, he provides me. He meets my needs. The churches are people who've learned to cope with life, not because they are resourceful, they've got strong willpower. The Bible says God chooses the weak things and the foolish things. The church isn't just made up of a load of resourceful people. You know, all got it together, can cope with life. Oh, there's another one, he can cope with life. No, he chooses weak things, poor things, people who have needs. People like Simon Peter, Mary Magdalene, these real people with all kinds of psychological difficulties and problems, and they learn, they learn, they learn. They learn of him. They get yoked to Jesus. They talk to him. They let him talk to them. They derive comfort from him. They learn to walk through all kinds of pressures from Jesus, not from changed circumstances. We learned that yet. See, Jesus provides that. He says, come to me, I'll give you rest. Why? How does he do that? He takes away your guilt. At, on the spot. The day you first trust Jesus, he takes away all your longings for acceptance. He accepts you straight away. He takes you as you are. You walk in the building a sinner, you're still a sinner, but he accepts you. It's, it's a transaction that takes place. I accept you, I forgive you all your sin. I bore your sin in my body on the cross. Now I accept you. Find rest. Rest from striving, rest from guilt, rest from religion and trying hard. See, some people think, if only I could be more religious. No, no, that's not the way. You get rest by coming to Jesus and getting your guilt taken away. Because that one hung on a cross and bore your guilt. So you find rest. And then he says, then learn of me. So first receive from me, and then in life, keep on learning from me. Learn from me. And you'll find ongoing rest for your soul. Take my yoke. Fellowship with me. I encourage you to do that. If you've never done that, even this morning, if you come and you think, I don't know, I'm trying to be a Christian, I've, I've come to Alpha, I'm trying to learn, there has to come a moment when you just say, I'm giving it to God. I'm believing that Jesus died in my place. I believe that he bore my guilt. I let him take it. I walk away free. 
tremendous rest that comes when we know Jesus took our guilt. You can know that this morning. Jesus took my guilt. And then learning of him, learning to trust him when delay comes and problems arise and you think, if only this was going to come through. We all get these tests and trials, don't we? We hope for this to happen. I remember hoping for my house to sell all the year before last. And every day I had to go to God again, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, you know about this. I know when I had shingles and for three months I was terribly unwell. Every day I'd wake up in the morning and it was all like, like Satan at the door knocking my door every morning and say, uh, do you want some self-pity? I've got some self-pity. Would you like some? Tastes really nice. And I had to resist it every day. I had to, every, no, I'm not going there. I know that's a cul-de-sac. I know that doesn't lean any, lead anywhere. But I had to do it, dear friends. You can't just, you don't just get passive in the Christian life. You learn of him. You go to him. Say, Lord, okay, I just need you again today. I need your grace today. I, need, I, can't, I haven't got any physical energy at the moment. I need your grace. It's, it's something we learn to do. We learn. Jesus says, learn of me. Get yoked to me. Learn from me. I want to encourage you to do that. Then, let's do good today in our giving. You did good. Let's do good. Implication, you could do bad. What's bad? Well, it's nominal. Token. We could let these three a year things come round and say, oh, well, I gave last time as a token. No, it's good for us. It's a very good discipline. It comes around again. Here it comes again. It's like a feed. I need fresh grace, Lord, again. I need again to focus. I need to come to God again. Keep the vision bright. Keep my faith sharp. Make sure I'm focused. I'm not just thinking, oh, well, I wonder what will happen. No, we're focusing. It helps us to focus. Let's do good. Let's add to our account. Storing up for yourself. I don't know how that's going to work out. I don't know what that's going to mean. But I I know enough from the Bible that it says it again and again and again. But somehow, that has huge ramifications for when we meet Jesus. But somehow, the fact we took seriously the matter of giving. Jesus says more about money than nearly anything else. And that we took him seriously on that. I don't know what it means. But I know that when I meet him, he will explain what it means. And there will be pleasure, fulfillment, certainty of reward from what God has ordained. And we are in partnership for this to happen. And we're going to worship for a while this morning. We're going to worship the one who made the biggest ever deposit. No one ever has made a deposit in the account like he did. We're told that for the joy set before him, he gave himself. He built up this massive account that we're drawing on all the time. It's because he did it. He shares the spoils of his triumph. He put so much in our account. He flooded the bank. He says, for the joy set before him. He had that eternal perspective. On the cross, it looked like, well, he's forsaken. At the cross, you think, well, this guy's a crook. He's a cheat. There's no answer from heaven. Even his followers have run away. He's obviously a a fake Messiah. Messiahs don't get killed on crosses. Messiahs are warriors. They win victories. 
And he's a write-off. He's hopeless. He paid so greatly. For what? For the joy that was set before him. With a supernatural, eternal consequence of his deposit. We can draw on it now. He meets all our needs according to his riches. Now, every week, every year, we can draw upon him. And eternally, he makes us eternally secure. We belong to him forever. Let's worship him together. Let's, let's stand. Band, come up, please. We're coming to worship him. Let's just focus on Jesus together. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful. We are so grateful. Thank you so much for paying so greatly. We thank you for this account that you opened. We thank you, Lord, that there's going to come a day when you, you draw it all back. You enter into the joy. The joy that's set before you. And we thank you, Lord, we can, moment by moment, continually draw on the grace you want to give us. Lord Jesus, we, I pray for some here this morning who are, Lord, going through difficult times. Lord, huge question marks over their experience. Longing for breakthrough, longing for jobs, longing for fresh friendships, longing for some things to end, for some things to open up. Lord, I do pray. Help us to really learn of you. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to be able to say, he said to me. He spoke to me. He said, my grace is sufficient. He, he drew near. We thank you every time we read, Lord, of your drawing near, just taking away the anguish, the anxiety, breathing peace. Let's come and meet with him as we're worshipping. Father, we, we come to you. We pray, please meet with us in this worship time. Let's draw from you. Let's receive from you. We want to do that, Lord. We want to receive from you. We want to experience grace. We want to worship you, Lord. Thank you for all that you love to give. Bless us as we bring our praise, Lord. Amen. Thank you.